Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. It wouldn't be the holiday season if there wasn't candy, right? Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Ich wart seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt. Als wär's ein Rhythmus, als gäb's ein Lied, das mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht. Komm dir entgegen. Hello and welcome to Gegenpressing, the German football podcast from the Football Grad Network. I'm your host, Bryce Dunn. And as always, we're going to start off the podcast by going over the weekend's results. So on Friday night, we've seen Kevin Vaughan score two goals for Bayer Leverkusen to win 2-0 against Stuttgart. Moving on to Saturday, we've seen Lupi Becchio. Yes, that's right. At the on-loan Watford striker. Yeah, none of us have really heard of him, but he made a hell of a statement with three goals against Champions Bayern, that game ending 3-3. Following up after that, we've seen Osberg 1, Eintracht Frankfurt 3, an early de Guzman goal, seeing the Eagles continue to soar up the table into third. Yep, Dortmund are still top. They managed to beat Mainz 2-1. Hertha 3, Hoffenheim 3. Another thriller. Then we move it into Wolfsburg 1, RB Leipzig 0. Bit of a surprise at that one. I decided to go out in the late kickoff game on Saturday. How wrong I was. Schalke 5, Nuremberg 2. 7 goals. That's right. Today's fixtures seen Freiburg 1, Werder Bremen 1. A late equaliser there for Werder meant that Freiburg conceded their 1,000th uh, Bundesliga goal, eh? Then the final game of the weekend, seen Borussia Mönchengladbach 4, Hanover 1. Hanover scored within 21 seconds, but that's about all the joy they had after that. So we've seen them get run ragged by an impressive Gladbach side. Gladbach are still sitting in seconds. 36 goals, guys. Are pr- pretty impressive. Who, who am I speaking to? Well... None other than Chris Williams. Chris, how has your week been? Um, okay. Uh, it dragged a bit in the end, uh, the international break. I was quite happy with the first week, and then the second week dragged a little bit. So it was nice to get back to club football. Yeah, absolutely. I think that always happens these days, doesn't it? But uh, I, I suppose with uh, Manu Vett joining us as well, and this being a German football podcast, we're going to have to welcome you onto the podcast. But we probably talk about that German national team, eh, Manu? Yeah, I guess we have to. Um, anyways, hello, Bryce. How are you doing? <laughs> yeah, not too bad. It's good. I've been on two stages. Is that it? In two is, weeks. Um, is that it? Have we mentioned it? Yeah, yeah we've mentioned it. <laughs> it's done. No, I'm not going to let them away that easy. I was saying I was on <laughs> two busy weekends, two stag dues in a row, so I'm glad that I'm actually in my flat. Wow, this you're the one that needs a nice. break. I, I was oh, happy. I, I was happy for the international break because I, I mean, Chris, we chatted about this how 
if you're a fan, you don't really like the international break that much. But if you report on it on football, I, I, I kind of enjoyed the first 10 days. Um, you know, get to sleep in on weekends, um, not have to worry about all the prep and post game stuff. Uh, so I actually kind of liked it. But well, it yeah, I was lucky enough to go to a movie premiere and was chatting what? to some colleagues afterwards, and they were of the same opinion that it's been a really busy start to the season and we should really enjoy this last break because it's the last one for a while. Yeah. Well, we, yeah, get, the, we get the winter break, I guess, um, two weeks in this year, in January, so... But um, yeah, the rest, if you if you report on English football like you do, Chris, I guess that's it till March. Yeah, that's it. No rest for the wicked, eh? But I'm sure you guys will be fine and we'll, we'll get through it. And Manu, we're going to have to keep you talking, though. And right. let's actually go into this German national yeah. side. So things didn't quite go to plan. It's the first time the, the German national side have ever lost six fixtures uh, in a calendar year, um, Germany aren't aren't used to this these kind of runs. Uh, and if we look at that that group table that they were in, yeah, you know this nation league that um, everyone seems a little bit confused about. But they, they've been relegated after four games. They they failed to to get a win. Even I mean, well, what exactly is going on here? We thought that things might get a little bit better after the uh, World Cup. Yeah, I think we did more. <laughs> I mean, the World Cup plays a big role in this. Um, I think there was a lot of mistakes made at the World Cup, and this, this is a tournament that I, I covered closely. And I think we, everything, all the mistakes, we, we more or less spoken about them. But I think the the big mistake after the World Cup was that um, we didn't have a clear cut, and um, maybe a little bit lulled in by the zero zero draw against France, the first match. Right, where actually I thought Germany was um, the better team in that game. And then came that defeat in the Netherlands, where when you actually look at the, the actual stats of that game, Germany were the better team too. They just couldn't defend to save their lives. I mean, um, this is the, the Bayern block, right? That's very same Bayern block we're going to talk about a little bit later down in the podcast. Defensive-wise, they really struggled. And after that... Joachim Löw finally decided to make the cut, um, change the, the makeup of this team. And this is, this is something that I, I have, I've already struggled with this during the World Cup because this Germany side isn't as bad as the results. Um, I actually still think that this Germany side is one of the best in the world. The problem for me is there's a big gap between the, the team that won the 2014 World Championship and the, the two teams, um, the U21, that won the European Championships in 2017 and they used the, the Confederations Cup, very young Confederations Cup squad that won the Confederations Cup, more or less um, walking through the competition without any problems. Yet Löw failed to take those three teams. And this is something that we addressed before the World Cup, right, Chris, as being the biggest obstacle to being successful at the World Cup is taking those three teams and put them together and find the right chemistry. And I think that is really where Löw got it wrong. He failed to get the chemistry going, and he was not gutsy enough to develop the young players and put them into the side. And for me, the three best games that Germany played this year was the 2-1 defeat to France in France, a game that they were actually excellent. The, 3-0, the first 60 minutes against Russia in that 3-0 win in the friendly, 
and this game against the Netherlands that they should have won. They really should have won it. They gave that lead up in five minutes and that was after Löw basically made a few changes. For me, he's finally gotten, he understood that he, the game has moved on. Possession football is over. He has to go with three in the back. He has to get rid of a lot of the, a little bit older players and use faster, younger players. The fact that Süle is now anchoring the defensive line. Kai Havertz is coming into midfield to replace uh, Mesut Özil in the medium term. And the three up front, Werner Gnabry Sane. And these are really the, the three up front. I, I, I thought putting those three up front, because Germany doesn't have that all-out striker at the moment, but those three up front, they were magnificent against the Netherlands. There was already signs that they could play like that um, when they played against France. Um, they played very well, but against Netherlands, the chemistry that they had was absolutely fantastic. And I think it's not really a big surprise that everything kind of did fall apart after Löw took those players off because then they were lacking that pace. So I guess that's really the next development step to get in players that can play behind Gnabry, Sane, Werner, um, build a new axis of strong players throughout that national team, use some of the players that have been a mainstay in the squad. Tony Gross, for example, I don't think we can do without him anytime soon. And just give this team a new face. And I think in the last two games, we saw a lot of that. Unfortunately for me, he's just done it a little bit too late. Yeah, Chris, I mean, Manu said, you know, that, you know, the, one of the best squads in the world, you know, the, the players that they can feel. I mean, I mean, it's absolutely true, isn't it? I mean, any nation in the world would take that squad. Um, and I suppose that makes you think, well, if it's not the squad, you know, is it, is it the players or, is a, a bit of a transitional period for them, as as Manu's maybe suggesting as well. Well, until recently, there hasn't been a transitional period, has there? Because he's he's chosen players who probably are past their international best. Look, Thomas Muller's got his hundredth cap now, um, so you can probably say goodbye to him. Um, and he'll go with the front three that that Manu's already mentioned, which I think should be the front three for the next few years. Um, and Manu quite rightly identified that. Possession-based football, as I've said for a long time, it doesn't matter how long you have the ball, it's, it's what you do with it. You know, how many times have we seen teams um, eke out a 2-2 or maybe even win a 1-0 and they've had 15 or 20% possession? It doesn't really matter how much of the ball you have, it's what you do with it. And I think Joachim Love is starting to realise that a bit now. And yes, they should have won the game um, against the Netherlands quite convincingly, but he made those substitutions and I think he just underlined to everybody that once he took off the plays he did, you know, Germany were left without any pace. I mean, I rather facetiously tweeted out afterwards, you know, if you if you want to eat from the Bayern Buffy, don't mention that um, Goretzka and Muller were stripped of pace in that game. And, and I'll stick by that because um, I do think those two plays in particular aren't, um, aren't that fast and, and the Netherlands took full advantage of that um, and, and deservedly got their draw at the death Um which put them through to the final stages. So, yeah, I think the Nations League, if you, you're German or you're Germany, just write it off this particular one. Obviously, they've still got the qualifications for Euro 2020. This doesn't replace that. Um, you'd still fancy Germany to go through um, on their own merit through traditional qualification means. Um, and then maybe with the squad they've got, and if he can form those three squads into one really good squad, which it looks like he... he He's starting to do, especially with the lineup that went in to maybe some of the last games, um, especially the one against France and then the one against the Netherlands. Um, the Euro 2020 competition could 
be a little more fruitful in the World Cup for Germany. Yeah, maybe to add to that too, the current U21 coach by Stefan Kunz, they, they absolutely dominated their European, um, championship qualification group and are one of the favorites to win, to defend the title next, um, summer. So it isn't like there isn't any talent coming through the ranks at the moment. There is enough talent there. Um, and I think then again, um, 2019 is of course the U21 championship, right? 2020 is the next European championship. I think key will be to keep feeding in these players and, and then below that where Germany has seen a little bit of a problems of new young players coming through. That's where they need a little bit of reform to make sure that we keep developing Werners and Knabris and Sanis, these fast paced players that the game needs nowadays. It wouldn't be the holiday season if there wasn't candy, right? Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Yeah, well, hopefully things will improve soon. The uh, qualification groups, as Chris mentioned, uh, they have yet to be decided just yet, but will take place, as far as I know, in March, and they'll start. But, uh, guys, uh, that will do. I think we'll we'll put uh, Manu out of his uh, misery, and we'll talk Bundesliga. So, 36 uh, goals uh, this weekend. Very exciting stuff. Uh, and actually, the first time in Bundesliga history, there's been three goals on the same match date within the first minute. So, we, we're really spoiled once again. Um, I feel, um, Chris, we're going to have to talk about uh, Dortmund, aren't we? They're now nine points. That's right, nine points ahead of Bayern. Um, well, we might as well just shut up shop. It, it's done, isn't it? Uh, yeah, hand it out now. Uh, Perfect. Yeah, <laughs> move on. Um, no, I mean, that that is complacency, isn't it? <laughs> I think if Lucien Favreau and his staff believe that, um, then Dortmund will finish fifth or sixth. Uh, but I think it's it's their... I'm going to hang my washing on the line and, and say it's their title to lose now. I think if you're nine points clear of Bayern Munich, um, you know, they're clear of the, the sides below them as well. Um, top of the table, they're playing good football. Uh, so, yeah, I think it, it's their... It's their title to lose, but they've got to maybe believe a little bit more in themselves. Um, they still look a little bit nervous at time, although they did come back against Mainz uh, very well. Great goal from Lucas Piszczek at the end. Um, but if you compare this Dortmund side to the the Bayern side that's won the league for the past you know six seasons, um, every time they're on the pitch um, previously to this season, you just knew that Bayern were going to win. And Dortmund need to have that belief, self-belief within themselves uh, because, yes, they are nine points clear, but they've still got to go to the Allianz. So you can call that six, maybe, if they um, suffer a shock defeat. They would be shocked at the moment. Then that's six points. And we're not... If this was the back end of February, March, I'd, I'd say hand the title out now, Bryce, but it's not. There's so many games to come. There's so many things that can happen. Dortmund are a fantastic side at the minute. One or two injuries, I think, Maybe they'll start to sweat. So they need to believe in themselves um, currently and then really hammer home this advantage because it is going to get 
tough at one point for them, be that be February, be that be March, be it as soon as we come back in January. They are going to go through a challenging period, um, and it's how they go into that and how they get through that. If they've got maybe a, a 12 or 14-point cushion behind them, they can cruise through that easily. But if they all of a sudden just start to drop a point here and a point there, and then they go into a bit of bad form, um, as we saw last season when Bayern weren't particularly good, um, that, that that points deficit soon turned around very quickly. So I do think it is Dortmund's title to lose, but we're still so far off from May that unless they believe in themselves and unless they concentrate for every single fixture coming up, um, it, it could be theirs to lose and, and they may do that. But what, what can we say about them at the moment? They're playing fantastic football. Um, Paco Alcacer just seems to need about 30 seconds from coming on. Maybe they should just bring him on in the first minute, get the goal, take him off. Um, double substitution almost. But yeah, they're playing fantastic football throughout uh, and deservedly top of the table. Um, what I'm pleased about seeing this season through to last and maybe a couple before, particularly under Thomas Tuchel, was uh, that game against Mainz. That would have been um, either a draw or they would have been beaten in, in the final stages. And that looks to have changed under Lucien Favre. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with you, Chris. I think uh, you know that that equaliser yesterday that would would have probably been the end of the game. It would have uh, it would have been dropped points on. But uh, Manu, it, it it's true that uh, Dortmund at this stage very much in the driver's seat. As Chris said, it's 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 almost theirs to to lose to a degree. Um, do you see them uh, seeing it out? I mean, things are looking positive. They're they're coming back strong. They're they're even. When we talked about the stats and we looked at the game yesterday, you know, they, they had less shots than their opponent, but they're just efficient and players come off the bench and scoring. It's, it's a good time in Dortmund at the moment, isn't it? It's, it's classic Lucien Favre. His teams always make the, the stats look, um, odd because, um, I mean, this is something that we addressed before the season, right? When we did speak about Lucien Favre, how his teams, um, traditionally shoot less. And, um, only shoot from, from areas where there's high goal expectancy, um, XG. I, I know that's Chris' favorite right there. So I'm not going to do much into it, but that's something that they, they really excel at. Or Faber has, has always excelled at that his teams kind of cheat the stats, um, so to say. So, um, I guess that explains some of it because when you actually look at the stats, um, Bayern have produced more chances, shoot more often on goal. And, um, should be when you go by these like XG stats should be way up higher in the table. They're just not, um, for whatever reason, because they also give up a lot of goals, um, which is also something that is really unexpected. And I guess that's where stats and real world kind of collide, right? Um, looking the actual numbers and then watching a game with the naked eye. I think watching a game with your naked eye, it's still, it's still going to beat stats um, almost every day because when you look at Bayern and you look at the way they give up goals, it, it all makes sense. And it's the same with Dortmund. When you look at Dortmund and you, yes, they give up more chances than they should, but they don't give any chances up in key areas because that's how Lucien Favre's teams defend, right? So you have to always kind of look at it that way. Um, speaking of stats, it's really interesting. Goal Impact, um, the the stats company, they, they do a calculation on how the season is going to end. And, uh, for the first time since they that did the calculation at the beginning of the season, they're actually now projecting Dortmund to finish first. Um, last, after the classical last week or two weeks ago, they actually still had Bayern to, to win this league. 
Um, now there's a 51% chance that Dortmund will win it and only a 44.5% chance that Bayern will win it. So, um, it's not looking good for, for Bayern in that regard and it's looking good for Dortmund. But I think, I think, I think Chris is quite right. I think they just have to keep playing. And for me, the big key thing is to what will happen with that first defeat, right? And that's always something that is the biggest impact for any team. They haven't lost the game yet, right, Chris? So what will happen when they actually do lose a game in the Bundesliga? Will they be able to straight rebound from that? And I think that is the real character test that we will have to still see from this team. Yeah, that's that's what I was meaning by they've got to believe in themselves because we saw um, on the very odd occasion over the last six years that when Bayern did lose a game, they just went out and thumped somebody the next week, five or six, one um, and Dortmund need to be able to do that. I Because they're such a young team, and if you look who they've got at the back, Zagadou, fantastic young player. Um, and then you look in the middle, they've got Witzel, who's a young player. I don't know what um, experience he's got of having to go through any tough times. Then you've got Sancho, um, who's a very young player. You've got Alcacer, who's new to the country. It's how those players respond to a slight wobble. Um, I think looking at them, they should be all right. Um, but I would I would like to see how they come out. And they will have to come out of a defeat because this side isn't going to go unbeaten for the whole season. Um, how they respond after that defeat, I think we'll have a good indication about Dortmund's title credentials. As I say, if they if they do drop points or get beat one week, um, and if they can come out the week after and pump three or four past whoever is unfortunate enough to play them next, I think we'll have a good insight into this Dortmund side. And, and Chris, you mentioned uh, Paco Alcazar. I mean, that that deal's been tied up now, permanent deal. Uh, I mean, just how important is that? You know, it, it's it's been a fantastic bit of uh, scouting by Dortmund to get him in, and as he says, he he seems to score just all the time. Yeah, and I think we've seen a good indication of his um, his ability. We've seen that all season, but maybe the makeup of his character because he signs that deal um, and he's straight on the bench doesn't look arsed about it, it doesn't look arsey. You know, some players hate sitting on the bench. He looks like, okay, I'm part of this bigger team, this bigger ethos. We're Borussia Dortmund together. He's happy to sit on that bench. He comes off the bench and, what is it, 112 seconds later or something, mm. he's knocking the ball in the back of the net. It's his second touch of the ball. He's scoring a goal with it. Um, and you can see the joy that Marco Royce did. As soon as he passed it, he ran. He, he didn't even need to look round. If you rewatch the goal, um, Roy slides the ball across the box and he just puts his arms out and runs to the crowd. He knows exactly what Alcacer's going to do. Um, and then uh, Sancho comes over and gets involved. So they've got a, a really good squad ethos there at the moment. Um, and yeah, he looks like he's just fitting that like a glove. Um, I will be very surprised, Bryce, if he's starting from the bench after the winter break. I think Lucien Favre has been very clever um, and he's almost drip feeding him into games. Doesn't need to anymore, I think, but he's almost taking the pressure off him by saying, OK, go on, go and do what you can do. Um, but I would think come the turn of the new year and when we're back after the winter break, um, he will be starting game after game and especially the run into the title. Yeah, it's been fantastic. I mean, even using the uh, the Sofa Score app, which I'm quite keen on, I, I just looked there while... You're speaking, Chris, uh, at, at his scoring frequency, he's getting a goal every 29 minutes. I mean, that that's pretty impressive. Um, yeah, I think it was 31, Bryce, before he came on at the weekend. But obviously, being on the field for <laughs> less than less than two minutes has brought his average rating down. Unbelievable, eh? Uh, Manu, if, if we just go to you, I mean, talking about 
uh, signings from Dortmund and the winter break coming up and therefore uh, the January transfer window. Do you see Dortmund bringing anybody in? Um, do you believe that they'll try to or, or that they need to? Uh, they need to um, sell players. Um, they need to find a new home for, for Rode and Kagawa, um, I believe before they can actually think of bringing anyone else on. And, and I mean, they now concluded this transfer for uh, Paco Alcazar, um, 23 million euros for a striker who scores every 29 minutes. Uh, that must be the transfer of the, the, the century. Um, that's incredibly good scouting. And there's a reason why in Spain they say this was ba- basically Barcelona's biggest mistake ever. Um, just let him go for this little money um, because they didn't pay him enough. So, yeah, I, I don't, I don't think they're going to do much, Bryce. And I think the, the only way I can see them do something is when, if they sell Rude and Kagawa and maybe one or two of the other players that don't get very much uh, playing time. And the other thing that you always have to keep an eye on, um, is the fact that they, they always seem to buy for the future, right? They always seem to try to find the next 17, 18 year old gemstone that no one else has on their radar and all of a sudden that player becomes available they will go for that like they did with uh, Gomez last last winter right they will sign a player like that if a player like that becomes available but that's just that's just how Dortmund have been operating um, because that's how they have been able to increase their budget over the last few years and finally catch up with Bayern financially But um, Chris, if we talk about uh, transfers, there's there's one man in particular that Vasco would like to um, sign from Real Madrid. Who's that? Sorry, Bryce. He, he wanted to uh, make a permanent deal for the uh, Real Madrid um, right back that's uh, been on loan. Oh, Hakimi. Hakimi. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, well, I would be surprised if Real Madrid would allow that, to be honest, mm-hmm. because the way he's been playing um, is fantastic. I'm pretty sure that the new boss over at Real is, is keeping his eye on him. Um, if I was over either the pres- El Presidente of Real Madrid or if I was just the manager, um, I would be saying, yep, yeah, once his um, loan deal's finished, we're having him straight back. I, I don't think there's any need for them to call him back now. He's playing very well. He's gained some experience um, in a strong league and Champions League experience, which is, of course, always top of Real Madrid's um, agenda. So we'll have to see. I, I would be very surprised, Bryce, if, if they were to um, let him go, though. And I think the, the Spanish press have reflected that every time I've seen uh, mention of Hakimi, it's um, not it's it's when, not if he's coming back to Madrid. And, and Chris, then I suppose someone that we haven't really mentioned um, in the last few minutes uh, when discussing uh, Dortmund is uh, Pulisic. I mean, he's been forever linked to different clubs around Europe, but not really featuring as much as maybe he would like. Um, some people say that he maybe hasn't developed um, recently as much as he would have liked as well. Um, what do you think the likelihood of him maybe uh, going either in January or in the summer will be? Um, well, I think there's absolutely no chance he'll go in January. Um, that's already been decided. And it would be exceptionally foolish of them to let him go in January because you you get a, you get a, an injury to to Sancho or to Larson, um, you know, or maybe even some of the the guys that are down the pecking order, Wolf, etc. Um, then all of a sudden Pulisic is gone, and, and you find yourself that that one missing player has now got impact of two. So there's no way Christian Pulisic will go. 
I, I'm in the same camp as Manu. I think he's a fantastic player, but his, his development has tailed off a little bit. He's, he's flatlined. Um, and that doesn't mean to say he's flatlined as in he's rubbish, um, as in he's dead. What I'm saying is his, his trajectory was so good under Tuchel with, um, I know they said Lacazette then, with Aubameyang <laughs> and, um, and Dembele, that he's sort of fallen off since they've gone. But don't take it away, he's a fantastic player, and I'm pretty sure... Um, he will play as big a part in this title race as anybody else up front. Um, maybe, I mean, people have said he's not played as, as well or maybe he's not featured as much. He has featured um, near enough just as much. He had a little bit of an injury problem earlier on in the season, but he's been there. Um, and I'm sure that when Dortmund need to call on him, he'll be there. But in the summer, uh, I can see him going in the summer completely for... Um, maybe not the sort of money that's been touted around in some of the English press. 70 million euros is a lot of money for a player who's just got 12 months left on his contract. So I think it come down from that a bit. But yeah, I can see him moving on in the summer um, with a bidding war with someone like Liverpool and Chelsea, probably interested. Yeah, and Bayern. Um, Bayern really want him to for the for the marketing. Um, whether they're going to get him is, of course, a different story altogether. I think people, maybe just to add, because I, I know there's been quite a bit of discussion on this, and I did a piece um, over on Pro Soccer USA on, on Pulisic and his development. And I think people have to realize that when I, when people say flatlined, it does not mean that, as Chris says, it means that the development has stalled. And there's, there's statistics and numbers that completely underline, um, that suggestion because he hasn't really, I mean, even that year, uh, last year, he came burst on the scene as a 17 year old. He was fantastic under Tuchel, right? And then we basically saw more or less of the same as an 18 year old. And we're seeing, we're seeing the same thing again this year, maybe even a little less. So that's what we mean. Um, the development has stalled. It has flatlined. It hasn't, we have, we're basically seeing the same player as that Pulisic was as a 17 year old than we're seeing now. And when you look at um, a lot of other players in the same age category that, you know, make a big jump forward, um, Maybe that is what we're getting with Pulisic now is what we're going to get. That's not bad. It just means he's not going to be the messiah that a lot of people expecting him or expecting him to be um, stateside, right? Which is okay. He's, he's still going to be a great player. Um, but I think too, and it was really interesting talking to Stefan Buschko about this. He may be actually a victim of Dortmund's development that Dortmund every year expected to bring in the next young player. And this year it's Sancho and Brun Larsen, right? Who are maybe just a little bit ahead of him. And because they, they're performing a little bit ahead of him, they're going to play those younger guys, right? Because that is the way Dortmund have always operated. They're always in for finding the next young player. And if that next young player is better, that next young player will play. So Pulisic is almost a victim of Dortmund making the jump forward, developing faster, finding new younger players. So I think Dortmund might say, okay, well, if this is what we're going to get, if he doesn't want to renew his contract in January, we're going to sell him and we're going to take that money and bring in someone else like Pedrinho from Brazil, for example, that was heavily linked with, with uh, Dortmund at the moment. So I can totally see them do that. And I don't think it will be the end of the world for Dortmund. This will be actually one of those transfers where Dortmund will be like, okay, well, this actually is going to help us because we're going to get a lot of money. And we already have players that are play, playing his position. This is not a player, a key player who's playing every match day. So this is a little bit different than it was with Mikitari Young, Aubameyang, Götze a few years ago, or Lewandowski, right? 
this is a player that will give them money, but they can they don't need to replace him. And also, sometimes players need to move on yeah. from clubs as well um, in order to develop. I mean, I think Christian Pulisic is a fantastic player, but the the chances he's he's had so far have been slightly limited than maybe what he's used to. Um, and he is in a fight for his place with some very talented youngsters around him. So if he was to move on in the summer and go to somewhere like Bayern or to Chelsea or to Liverpool, that would then reinvigorate him. And let's not forget, he's only 20 years old. He's maybe five to six years off what we would say would be Pete Pulisic as well. So he's got another six years to develop. Now, occasionally players um, arrive at a club, uh, make their breakthrough at a club like Pulisic has done at Dortmund. They get to a certain level and, and they do flatline, which is what we've seen. All of a sudden, they get a move to another club, and their development starts again, and, and they go on a on another massive um, high-end curve and develop even better. And this could be Christian Pulisic. He's a fantastic player. Um, but if he doesn't want to renew his contract in January, then that says he's also of the mindset that he's going to look to move on to develop. And the club will quite rightly... Um, look to cash in on that in in the summer, and that would be a, an excellent. Um, I mean, that'd be an excellent situation for both, and there would be no hard feelings. It's not like Dembele who, who pushed forward a transfer. Christian Pulisic came in, worked exceptionally hard. Um, in essence, did quite a lot of work to a um, DFB Pokal victory, so he's won some silverware um, with Dortmund, and, and he'll move on and go to another club, and he'll win silverware with that club wherever that may be. But I think. Um, Christian Pulisic's future in yellow and black is, is getting shorter and shorter by the day, the longer he leaves his contract um, renewal. Well, I think that more or less does it for a chat with uh, about Dortmund. Um, Manu, you, you said that um, you know Dortmund might be happy to um, to ship uh, Pulisic. Uh, it may be getting to the stage where Bayern may be happy to ship Nico Kovac um, after this uh, 3-3 draw they were 2-0 up, they were 3-1 up um, and, and Dusseldorf just came back and um, managed to get a, a point there I mean, well, how exactly did they go about this? Um, it, is it more, you know, congratulations uh, Fortuna for for the achievement or, or Bayern just really just struggling to get out of this rut at the moment? Well, it is always a bit of both, isn't it? Um, I think we have to really congratulate the, the Sudov for, for this um, because they were excellent. Uh, Friedhelm Funkel tactically identified all the weaknesses and the obvious weaknesses in the spy inside and uh, took advantage of them. And I think that is, before we talk about the Bayern crisis and say this is all because of Bayern are bad, we have to really underline that Fortuna Düsseldorf did a fantastic job here. I thought the way they, they were set up, they were really brave in their setup. They created a chance. They created the first chance of the match, Bryce, in the first minute of the game. And that's not something that we've seen. I mean, teams now go to the Allianz Arena in a very, very different mindset. They, they now go there and say, look, we can buy an unbeatable. We can get point there. If we play well, if we tactically play well, if we, um, set the attacks the right way, then we can unlock them. And that was what you more or less got before before this match from the statements that came out of the Fortuna Düsseldorf dressing room. Um, it was actually so much so that Friedhelm Funke at one point had to say before the match, we have to remember that Bayern are still a world-class team. 
right? So this is the kind of mindset that teams are going in. They're not afraid anymore. And I think that is, that's a big difference. Um, that's why Fortuna were able to come back after being down 2-0 and 3-1. I mean, if any team of Fortuna Starcher would have gone down 2-0 or 3-1 in the past two years that we've done this podcast, we would be talking about another 6-1, 7-1 victory by Bayern. It's just not happening for them anymore. And how did they do it? Well, whenever they won the ball, they quite played it quickly forward because they know that Boateng isn't very fast. The same with Harvey Martinez, not very fast anymore. So having someone like Dodi Lukebakio, um, who's on loan from Watford, so people are listening in um, from the UK and thinking, oh, well, Dodi Lukebakio, we're having this really good player there. Yeah, you do. He's a very good player. And he's a fantastic in his pace. He's, he's very strong on the ball. He's, he's finished. He's finished three times the way he did against a world-class keeper like Manuel Neuer is outstanding at the Allianz Arena with your team being down 2-0 and 3-1 to have those kind of nerves of steel. Yeah, that's that's fantastic. And no no player has done um, what Luke Bakio has done since Ebisan scored three goals in 2001 against Bayern in Munich. So th- this is this is this is how Fortuna have done it. And I think um Fortuna awards the brave. I've seen that quite a bit on Twitter yesterday. I think that's really quite true. I mean, Fortuna did an excellent job and they exercised their game plan perfectly. And it this also brings me back, Chris, remember what I said to you or the Olympia Stadion. I almost mentioned this every podcast now. This game will change the way teams will play against Bayern. This will change German football forever. And it looks like it really has because Nowadays, teams are like, okay, well, if we be play Bayern, we don't need a lot of possession because if we play the ball quickly forward, we can hurt them real bad. And Frankfurt did it in the cup final against Bayern. And ever since then, a lot of teams have done and copied that. Yep. And uh, you know, Dusseldorf did it, uh, did it all over again, didn't they? And I think you mentioned the word brave there. They were very brave. Well, that's what um, Funkel said. He wanted his team to be brave in the Allianz. He wanted them to go to Munich and step up to the challenge. Um, and, and they did. And you're quite right. You know, they almost scored inside the first minute. Um, and I think what's more surprising these days is that Bayern can get a 2-0 um, two nil, two nil lead and, and still be susceptible at, at the back. I mean, I certainly can't remember a Bayern side off the top of my head who were, who were this um, porous when it comes to letting in goals when they're you know supposed to be game over sort of thing. I mean, look, that that second goal went in on 20 minutes. Um, and you would say normally Bayern at home, 2-0 after 20 minutes, that's it. Even 3-1 after you know an hour, you're looking at game over. But, but no, and it's quite ironic, really, because at the same time this game was going on, Liverpool were playing Watford, um, and Watford desperately needed somebody to finish um, to finish the chances that they were creating. They put Liverpool under enormous pressure at times, but they didn't have anyone to score the goal to to make that pressure toll. And obviously, um, Luke Bakayoko is is over in the Allianz smashing, you know, his hat trick or plus three or whenever it was. So, um, yeah, it's um, it's. It's a remarkable. It was a remarkable comeback and a remarkable result. But I think Manu's already said it. It highlights the the mistake of of Boateng and maybe having Martinez at the same time. But Boateng certainly came in for some direct criticism at the own at the end from um, Uli Honus. So yeah, it, it's it's that way. I mean, for me, that the second goal is Nicolas Sula the wrong side. 
argue he's not, but if if he knows that Boateng isn't particularly fast, maybe he, he gets on a half turn a little bit quicker. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, if you've got a side like Fortuna Dusseldorf coming back from 2-0 and 2-1 down, uh, sorry, 2-0 and, and 3-1 down, Against Bayern, it's it's not the best of um, the best of times. And what's more concerning for me, and I know we're going to speak about this in a minute, is is straight away. Um, I think it was 90 minutes after the final whistle, Builder running a um, an article, and they're very well connected at Bayern. That the players have gone to speak to Honus already. Well, um, I saw a fantastic video this morning from Jan Agerfjorta, um, who was speaking to Sky Sport in Germany. And going, Bayern can't be having this. They can't be having every time there's a problem with the manager. They can't have the senior players going up and, and start crying to him, going, oh, it's no, I don't like the coach, don't like the coach. You're the player. You'll do what the coach says. And I can understand why they did it with Ancelotti. Um, and he, Ancelotti did lose the dressing room. But if this happens again, if the players are now going and crying, and I and quite rightly say it's the same five players. You're looking at Muller, um, Robin. Ribery, um, Sula, uh, sorry, not Sula, um, Lewandowski. You're looking at the senior players who it's going to be the same four and five characters who are going. And Manu, we chatted about this mm. off, um, off air by text, didn't we? And, and the reason that these players are doing this is they're going and crying to the coach because they know that the coach really needs to get rid of them and play these younger players, but they can't. So they go crying to Ali Hunas and going, the coach isn't good enough, get rid of him. They get another manager in and they prolong, they prolong their playing time at Bayern. And I think Bayern really now need, if this is what's going on in the background, the dressing room, Bayern need to put a marker in the sand and say, actually, no, Niko Kovac is a manager. We brought him in for a transitional period. It's not going particularly well. Robin, Ribery, Hummels, Muller, Lewandowski, you, you know, you're, you get into the age now that we're going to have to move you on. See you later, go. And that, and that I think that's the choices they've got at the moment. Either back the manager or, or let the elder statesman ruin the next coach that comes in. And I said to you, man, I think there'll be one man smiling about this and that'll be Thomas Tuchel at PSG because he foresaw all of this. And that's why I said to Bayern Munich, no thanks, I'm not interested. Yeah, and that's also why Tuchel kind of forced Hummels out at Dortmund um, in retrospect. <laughs> You, you understand now why, because Hummels is also being so, also being kind of forced out of the national team a little bit, right? With Rudiger and Sule being younger, quicker, and better. And same for Boateng. I think Boateng will go. I, I, this is this is a personal opinion. Um, I think he will go to the states, um, being sponsored by an American agency and all that. I think he will go to America, and I think, given where he is, athleticism-wise, that will probably be a wise move on his part. Uh, and Kicker ran a really interesting story last week where they basically assessed the entire Bayern squad and they put a little marker on players, um, red, yellow, and green. For green, of course, players that Bayern should be working with in the future, yellow players that are doubtful, and red players that need to go. The red players were obviously Ribery, Rafinha, Robin, uh, Javi Martinez, um, as well because of the lack of pace that he's been showing and I think that's quite obvious when you look at this match in particular that second goal that was basically him the players in yellow were Boateng, Müller and Hummels now Lewandowski they definitely want to keep because he's you know you can't really replace a goal scorer like that but you're quite right he didn't score a goal against um against Fortuna Düsseldorf I actually thought that Müller was 
probably the best Bayern player in that game. Um, he he really tried and he looked a lot better in the position he was playing at. So I'm, I, I think, you know, that, that he's definitely trying to, to keep his job, but Hummels, Boateng, I would actually add them maybe to the list of players that need to go. And just not only because they're not performing as well anymore, but because you need to clear out the dressing room. You need to get rid of all the source of contention. And that's a really big question mark at the moment, right? Are Bayern going to stick it with the coach or are they going to stick with the players? But if they're not sticking with the coach and they're sticking it with the players, then they're sticking to players that might be gone by the end of the year because they will have to clear house. Because I think any coach that comes in now will only be there t- until the end of the season, right? And then they would have to hire a new coach and they would have to tell this new coach, it's like, yeah, you're coming in, you have to basically work with all these guys that got rid of the last coach who wanted to get rid of you. Eh? So this is not going to work. And I mean, you sort of look at Hoeneß's statements. Um, I think if they hadn't had that game on Tuesday, Chris, the way I interpreted that statement is like, we have to sleep on it. We have to, we have to really think about it, analyze the situation, but we have this game on Tuesday and that's the focus that we have. We have to qualify for the next round and we can't really do anything about it until then. That really sounds to me, if they hadn't had that game on Tuesday and they had a week off, let's say it was the game before the international break, I, I think they would have fired Kovac today. That sounds really harsh, but they may have done it. Right? Yeah. And, for me, I know you said Muller had a great game, but if I was if I was asked to be coach of Bayern Munich, he would be top of my list of players that would be gone mm. before I signed because I think he is a um, I think he's a I think he's a cannon in the dressing room, uh, and and I get why because he is in essence Mr. Bayern, isn't he? You know, he's he's local guy. He's been there for so long. He's been so fundamental in their success um, that now it's not going particularly well, and it hasn't been going well for a while, really. Uh, I think Job Hankus papered over the cracks um, and we saw those cracks reappear towards the back end of last season, Champions League and in the Pokal. Um, and for me, I would clear the decks of those players and buying a rich. I mean, we've said it since this podcast started. They are cash rich. They don't need to go to an oligarch or they don't need to go to some um, you know, Middle Eastern rich backers to, to bankroll and they'll just go and get their own money um, out of bank. Um, and they need to start spending. Now, whether that's in their interest is a different way, but they're going to need four or five players to come in. And I don't mean going out and and maybe buying Sane from Manchester City. I don't mean that. They need to be self-sufficient. They need to almost follow, not the Dortmund model, but they need to, to look at bringing in youth players. I mean, they should be bringing youth players in from their academy. They're not really. Okay, they had a, um, a South Korean um, winger on the bench from Bayern Munich 2 on the weekend but really they need to be developing their own or, or you know pinching um, players who are ready developed from from other countries and I just think that the whole last few years is coming home to Russo Bayern I think that the transfer um, dealings have been particularly poor um, and and now it, it's coming home to to Russo with them yeah I think going for someone like Alfonso Davies was actually a right move, you know, and they, they need to look at more players like that. Um, I'm not saying they need to buy players from MLS all the time, but like younger players that are not necessarily on everyone's no, radar. No, that's right? exactly what I mean. So yeah. they've identified a talent abroad, a young talent who is going to come and be fantastic. I think Alfonso Davies, when he arrives, he, he maybe could bring a little lift to the club, but you're asking, well, you're asking a teenager to lift a giant back up the table. I think that's a, In a unnatural. Shark tank. <laughs> yeah, 
<laughs> yeah, I think that's an unnatural request and an unnecessary pressure. But they need to be making four or five more of those types of signings for me in the summer to clear the decks of, of, of the old guard. And yeah, it is painful, but sometimes, you know, it is, it's going to be this painful. It's almost like an amputation, isn't it? They, the players that have been with them for so long... You know, maybe they're getting gangrenous now, and you just gotta you just gotta amputate that part of the body in order to carry on living. And I think in the case of Thomas Müller and Mats Hummels and Jerome Boateng, it might actually be better for them for their individual careers as well. Thomas Müller desperately needs a change. He's still well, a good okay. player, but he desperately needs a change. Well, guys, just before we, we've still got plenty to talk about, we're going to have to move away from uh, Bayern. But I'm going to put to both of you: Do you think Nico Kovac? And I just want a one-word answer. Um, we'll go to you, Chris. Um, do you think he'll be here? Here on the build-up, basically, will he be sacked um, by the winter break? Uh, will he be here for the second part of the season? Do you think stay or gone? No, he said one word. No, I, I think I think he'll go. I think something will happen between now and um, the winter break. I mean, if they don't get a good result midweek, and Mano, as we're talking about this midweek, they only need a point. But if they scrape a point, you know, if it's a 1-1 or a 0-0 and it's particularly poor football, um, then I think he may even go before the next match day. Um, but, yeah, Bayern, if, if they get beat midweek, I'd expect him to go because they're nine points off the title now. And, and to be teetering on qualification for the latter stages of Champions League is, is not good enough. And Manu, is he here for the uh, second half of the season? That's a very mean question. It's yes or no, right? Just just your prediction. Oh, man. <laughs> um, I would say no. I, 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 I don't know. I mean, going by Hunas' statements, I would say no. But um, well, that's, that's I, I mean, think well, he, okay, this is just to make it a little longer, just to add something to it, and I'm sticking with my no. But um, Bayern should stick with him. They sh- that's what they should be doing. Not that's that's also, do, yeah, that's, that's also my um, that's my case. Um, Bryce is they should stick with him, but I don't think they will because yeah. I think the likes of um, Hummels. And Robin and Ribery and Muller hold far too much power in that dressing room. Yeah, it's, I think I think we all know that that's probably the the right choice. Get rid of them, keep the coach, yeah. and move forward. But I mean, for anyone listening in the UK, this Bayern side is the Chelsea side of three four years ago, where they didn't like the manager, they just refused to play and got him sacked. It's a great, very great comparison, fantastic comparison. Well, well guys, we've got great sides to talk about, and let's move away from a. From Bayern, um, with that and, and talk about Eintracht Frankfurt, um, who have, are having a fantastic season. In fact, they leapfrog, um, RB Leipzig, moving up to third after a victory away to Augsburg. Um, and even Haller is, uh, one of the many players, you know, that's, um, really, um, excelling at uh, this season. And that's his seventh goal in seven competitive games. Um, I mean, Manu, if, if we look at them, they're seven points off uh, Dortmund. Um, is a title challenge a, a bit too much for them? I mean, they do have the Europa League uh, tied up. Um, could, could they have an impressive run into to that winter break and, and close that gap? Ooh. Well, who's going to stop them? Um, <laughs> I mean, I'm just going to look ahead a little bit, right? Who, who are they going to play? 
And, um, for me, the big one is that they have the Europa League more or less, um, tied up, right? They, they, they qualified for the next stage. They won four out of four. They're playing Wolfsburg next week at home on a Sunday. Um, they basically can take off, uh, this entire week and prepare for that match. Then, um, they got Hertha away, right? And then, um, let me just check. Hertha away. And then they're playing Leverkusen again on a Sunday. Um, <laughs> you know, they, they have a, not the most difficult run in to the winter break. And if they are still up there by that time, I can definitely see them, um, maybe challenge for a Champions League spot, which is something that, of course, would really help the club grow financially. They, that's almost what they need to make that next step in development, right? Because it would allow them to keep all these great players that they have assembled and build on it. And it's something that they've really struggled with. A title challenge, um, Chris, last few years, fantastic in the first half of the season. Around match day 24, the balloon popped, didn't it? Yeah, it did. But I think they're playing a different style of football under Adi Hutter, which makes me think maybe they could... The title challenge, I think, might be just beyond them. Um, but I think they could challenge for a top four easy my main i had a real concern with frankfurt i mean if you look back now to that super cup match look at the fortunes of both managers have changed and, and the score on that day um after that game i thought frankfurt would be fighting for relegation but you know Hutter's changed the way they play he, he's looked at the system he's had he's brought maybe the 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 most potent front three in in European football at the moment currently scoring the most goals you know they're, they're playing some fabulous football I mean this game the weekend they scored with what I mean it was something daft like 15 seconds or 20 seconds on the clock it was unbelievable um, they're playing fantastic football my concern was that they wouldn't be able to adapt to this Europa League um, rhythm which is Sunday Thursday Sunday Thursday well my God they've adapted beautifully to it. And what I'm looking at, and, and this relates to the question you just asked, Bryce, is will Nico Kovac be at Bayern Munich come the end of the, you know, come the winter break? Well, Frankfurt host Bayern on the last day, 17th, March day 17, um, 5.30 kickoff on a Saturday, Eintracht Frankfurt against Bayern Munich. You know, and I think that if he hasn't gone by then, this could be the game where he goes because oh, Merry on, Christmas. Current form, <laughs> on current form, I can see Frankfurt spanking Bayern uh, in Frankfurt, maybe putting three or four past them. Oh my God. I, I just saw that, Chris. That is, that is the two days before Christmas. I mean, if Santa Claus ever does come early, it will be that match day. <laughs> That's going to be they, a game they, to watch. They, they even have RB Leipzig the week before that, which is not an easy game either. I mean, if they were to, Get two points, will we say, or that would even be Bayern, right? Yeah, Bayern. Yeah, yeah, if they even get like two points, you know, in those t two games, oh, things could look very interesting. I come the winter break, but um, Eintracht, yeah, doing a fantastic job. And I suppose then we need to speak a little bit about uh, Bruce Munch and Gladbach as well. It's there's many people saying that you know hacking should be out. You know, they they wanted someone a bit more. Um, Exciting, I think, but this year's been brilliant for them. That you know, twenty six points after twelve games, the you know, the they're, they're four points behind uh, Dortmund. I suppose the question is as well, um, Chris, is a title challenge, you know, too beyond them? I mean, they're scoring an awful lot of goals. 
Yeah, and I've said it time and time again, is that sometimes, you know, by, um, Richard Munch and Gladbach frustrate me because they play well and the next week they don't play particularly well, but they look like they've sorted that out because this week they went behind to a very early goal and, and ended up, you know, if we're going to be critical, they should have really pumped seven past Hanover. Um, I thought they played again. Um, and, and yeah, the, the, it's the, it's the way they're playing, and if there's any, if there's you, if you want to advert about, you need to stick with the manager to give them time to implement their processes. Then, then Dieter Hecking is that example because I think there's been opportunities in the past where potentially they could have got rid of him, and they haven't. They've stuck with him because they believed in in the way he plays and what he brings to the club, and the and and the way that he wants them to play and his future vision. And they've been rewarded at the moment by their their second place um, in. In what is a strong league, and everyone is looking and going, oh, Bayern aren't doing very well. Well, they're not doing very well, but Gladbach are doing well. Frankfurt are doing well. Leipzig are still playing okay. Borussia Dortmund are playing well. Um, some of the other teams around them are back on the up. Schalke have been playing well. So this isn't this isn't like the season when Leicester City won the Premier League because everybody else was playing crap. This is you know a season where all the other teams have stepped up to it. And for them to be second at, at this particular time of the season is, is a testament really to Dieter Hecken and probably more of a testament to the manager, uh, the management at um, Gladbach for the way that they stuck by him. And I think they, they've got a really exciting, exciting team. I mean, they've got um, Dennis Zakaria, who I've got a lot of time for. Lars Dindle is one of the players I would take if I was a manager anywhere in the world. And, of course, they've got Thorgan Hazard, who is just in an unbelievable vein of form at the moment, not just for um, Gladbach, but for Belgium also. So they've got three key players there um, that are, you know, that are doing exceptionally well. And if I hope that they can keep um, towing behind Dortmund, because I think this will be a, a good scrap for, mm. for who's going to be in these top three places um, come maybe the end of, end of this first half of the season. But I really hope... Gladbach can be where they are now for the back end of the season because they are a historically a big club and I'd love to see them back in the Champions League. Speaking of Christmas presents, Dortmund against Gladbach on December 21st. Oh, Friday lovely. night fixture. Right, so I went, to the, I went to that fixture two seasons ago. That was the last game of, um, of the opening half of the season and, and Dortmund ran away 4-1. I, I can't see them doing that this, this season. I think that'll be one of the, one of the games so far to watch. That will definitely be up there. Yeah. The Christmas has come definitely. I mean, the, the Christmas fixtures, if we call that, we got Dortmund against Gladbach on that Friday. And then we got Bayern Frankfurt on the Sunday, uh, Saturday night, uh, Saturday night game, uh, the match, the uh, top spiel. So yeah, uh, whoo. That's that's going to be a good match day, and if everything keeps going the way it is, it's going to be very exciting to watch it all. Yeah, absolutely. That's going to be a hell of a Christmas present, eh, that game. Um, I, I suppose we need to talk just ever so slightly as we're running out of time about how good uh, Thorgan Hazard has been in manner. He, he's, he's really stepped out of his brother's shadow, as, as some people are saying. I mean, somebody mentions Hazard, and they think of you know, it's Chelsea's Eden Hazard. That goal that he scored today um, to equalise Hannover. Um, yeah, I mean, 
that, that was a perfect finish. He's now 24, 25, right? Um, he's in that perfect age. He has done a big step in his development. He's now valued, I think, 25 million euros on, on transfer mark. So he will probably go in that 40, 50 million euro range next uh, summer if he goes anywhere. And you hear all sorts of rumors. I, I think Liverpool have been mentioned. Um, Dortmund have been mentioned. Um, they, they, he said one of the players that they're actually looking at should Polizic leave the club next summer. Hazard is one of the players that they would like them to bring in. Would make sense because he's, he would f- perfectly fit the system. And if Gladbach, maybe if Gladbach make the Champions League, there might not be a re- need for him to go anywhere. Um, because then they get a little bit extra money to keep someone like him around, right? So, um, the, He's been fantastic for both Belgium and um, the, his club side, and um, it's it's remarkable that the two Hazard brothers, the the way they are playing right now, is just fantastic. He's got 14 starts with Gladbach this season, got 11 goals and six assists. I mean that's that's phenomenal. And yeah. for Belgium, he's got two goals and one assist in three games. Yeah, I read earlier that he's been involved in nine goals. I think five goals and four assists in their last four home games, which is pretty impressive. Anywho, let's talk about uh, Schalke. Uh, Chris, are they going to go through um, to the Champions League next round is the big question. Uh, Yes, we were talking about this before we came on air. Um, Schalke have found themselves um, very lucky this season. They're in Group D, which is the Europa League group of the entire Champions League. Um, they're in with Porto, Galatasaray and Lokomotiv Moscow and no disrespect to any of those sides but they all could feature in the Europa League at some point. Um, yeah, they're second so um, they're behind Porto Porto have got 10 points, Schalke have got 8 and then there's a 4 point gap to Galatasaray so um, Schalke can get a draw this current match day uh, match day 5 which then will leave one game and the gap will be 4 points so yeah, they'll be through. I can't see them um, I can't see them not getting through now and as Manu and I, and I think we were all talking pre- prior to this, luckily they're going to draw. They're going to finish second. Let's say they finish second in Group D, then they're probably going to play either Dortmund, um, Barcelona, uh, Liverpool, Bayern or Manchester City. So um, they can go out with a bang because I can't see them going any further. <laughs> no, probably not. Uh, testing a few weeks then for Schalke, as obviously they have... Porto midweek, followed by Hoffenheim, Dortmund, and then their final game. Exciting times. Um, they, were, they were exceptionally good this week, though. I mean, mm. um, don't say that away from them. Um, they were very good going forward. It's just at the back I worry about because they, they weren't that good at the back again. Yeah, well, that's it. I mean, they could only get better, couldn't they? Um, it had been a pretty for them. Um, guys, uh, just before uh, we uh, we wrap up the podcast, I feel we, we're going to have to um, we're going to have to talk a little bit um, about the uh, Europa League um, fixtures as well. We've got Hoffenheim, Leipzig, uh, and Leverkusen very much in there. Uh, before we, we have very, some very exciting news to finish the podcast off on. Um, so yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, how, what do you think the likelihood of a uh, any of these sides progressing. Leipzig um, in a very tough group uh, with the likes of Celtic and Salzburg. Uh, Chris, um, are they going to get through to the next round? And is it to their benefit if they do? Um, I would say it wouldn't be to their benefit. And having been at their last game um, away at Celtic where they were beaten, 
Um, I don't think Ralph Ragnick fancies this um, competition at all. He's, he's not pointing out his best side at times. Um, and I think he sees that Leipzig have got a genuine opportunity with Bayern being so poor to to maybe finish in second again like they did the other season. Um, so I think the Europa League is a bit of a distraction for him. Uh, but saying that, Celtic don't seem to travel particularly well. Um, they're going to go to Rosenborg. So... Um, if they can get a result against Salzburg, then maybe qualifications back on for them. Um, but I, I, Leipzig want to be in a Champions League, and I think after their exploits last season um, and getting into the Champions League, um, albeit they fell out of it soon after, but being in that and tasting the, you know, the the very cream of of the European elite, I think being in the Europa League this season has been a bit of a a, a bum starter for them and. I'm pretty sure by looking at the way Ralph Ragnick was in that press conference afterwards in the tent uh, um, at Celtic that he doesn't he's not really bothered by this competition. No, it doesn't seem uh, too bothered at all. And Manu, if we go to your favourite side, um, Leverkusen, which you have cursed awfully in the league uh, this year. Um, that, I mean, suppose things are looking a little bit better after the weekend, but um, Europa League they've they've looked. Good, haven't they? I mean, after four games, they've got nine points. That, that things are going to be okay for them. They're through. Um, they're already mathematically through. So yeah. Oh, um, I can't count. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're through. Um, so they can focus pretty much on the league. Um, same story than it is for Frankfurt. Only they have to roll up the field from behind, right? Uh, maybe my fifty cents on on Leipzig. I think that they're going to beat Salzburg and um, they're going to beat Rosenburg, and that's all they need, right? Because even if Celtic and uh, Leipzig finish even on points. Leipzig goes through because of the head-to-head. Um, yeah, but Leverkusen, yeah, they're through, um, which is good for news for them because they really need to fo- focus on the Bundesliga season. And I suppose the question is, Chris, uh, will Hoffenheim then be joining um, some of these uh, other Bundesliga sides in the uh, Europa League? Oh, I mean, that is a, a take out Manchester City. That's a tight group and it can go... Um, it can go one or two ways. Um, obviously, it can go one or two ways. It can either qualify or they can't. Um, I think we'll have a better idea after this match day on that because I think it's going to be a really tough trip for them to go to Manchester City. It should be there, hopefully. But the flip side of that is Manchester City can afford to play a um, not a weaker side, but maybe uh, maybe not a stronger, a more youthful side in, in that game, um, which could give Hoffenheim a chance. Um, but I think... The Europa League would, would suit them better again, um, maybe more experienced. Don't forget, last season was their first time ever in European competition. So um, I think this this season they'll have learned a lot from that. And, and that's the only way you get better in European competition is by playing in it. So they've tasted the Champions League this season. If they drop into the Europa League, have a good go of that. And, and, you know, maybe try and get back into the Champions League this season after that or maybe the season after that. Um I do worry for them with Nagelsmann going that their time in, in the top competition could be um, drawing to a close, so they should just enjoy it. But, um, yeah, I think now, um, I think we'll have a better idea after this match day coming up, Bryce. I think, personally, I think it would be better, more suited for Hoffenheim to drop down into the Europa League. Um, I, I just think that would suit them a little bit better at the moment. Yeah, I think you could be right, and that is true. Um, Man City fielding um, not their regular starting eleven does not exactly mean a weak inside, so that's going to be a really tough one for them. Um, 
Manu, we we got to talk about the big news this week. People can be going, well, what, what could possibly be bigger than what we've already spoke about? But I, I'm as, one of them people. Yeah, yeah, you definitely will be. But um, but you'll be glad to hear, I hope, um, that Anthony Modesk is back at Cologne. Oh, wow. I knew that. Oh. <laughs> You knew it, but you didn't know it was the big special surprise at the end. Eh? Um, yeah, fantastic. He's, he's been in China, um, and he's now returning to the club. Um, this was when uh, Cologne had a, a fantastic um, season before getting relegated, finishing in, off the top of my head, I believe, seventh or eighth, was it? Uh, but he um, he was third top goal scorer. He's got 40 goals in uh, 68 appearances for them, and now he's back. But it's not quite as simple as that, Manu, is it? I mean... It's a little bit complicated, this transfer. Yeah, uh, it is because um, he um, cancelled his contract in China. Um, there was some options that his Chinese club didn't meet, uh, options that are apparently illegal, that are not FIFA confirmed. So he was able to break his contract and um, return to Köln on a free transfer. And Köln are 100% sure that this transfer is watertight, that they can sign him on a free transfer. His Chinese club... Um, they are suing Kern, um, but from what I hear from, from China is that they're doing this because they want to save face. Um, they are, they know that they can't keep Modesta because, um, there's contract details that they don't want to emerge apparently into the open because it would, uh, it would expose the club to transfer practices that are not illegal. So, um, apparently they, um, they're saying now that they're going to sue and that they're going to go to the CAS and uh, challenge this deal. But um, what I'm hearing from current lawyers is that they definitely won't be doing this because um, they can't have their contract exposed. So it looks like Köln got their man. My bigger question is, do they need him? Because they got uh, Simon Terode, who has a large lobby on Twitter to be included in the German national team um, with his, I think, 16 goals it is now. So... Um, where are they going to put him? Um, that's that's my big question mark because John Cordoba has been um, been excellent for them as well, and um, they look their first in the, in the standings right now. They can drop to um, second if Hamburg win their game, but um, I mean they look very much like they're back on on track to get to the Bundesliga. Um, Thirty five goals scored, so yeah, I don't know. We'll see. Uh, it's interesting that I have him back, though. Um, I'm really curious to see how he will do next year in the Bundesliga as a 31-year-old striker. I think while we're also talking um, FC Cologne, we should say congratulations to Johnny Walsh, who's a, a good friend of the show, has been on a few times, who's landed his dream job working for FC Cologne. So congratulations, Johnny, because I know you do listen. Yeah, congratulations. Yeah, also, also, we need to say happy birthday to Hal Stewart. As well, who we have, who fills in on the podcast when I'm not here. So happy birthday, Hal. Um, guys, that more or less does it, uh, for this week. We've, we've ran over a little bit, but we've just had so much to talk about. Chris, uh, what have you got going on this week that you'd like to draw people's attention to? Oh, well, obviously it's Champions League week, um, or Champions League and Europa League week. Apologies to every team in the Europa League there by just cutting them dead. Um, so yeah, there's loads of stuff going on. Um, I am at, um, PSG for um PSG against Liverpool obviously Tuchel versus Klopp um part 4 so we'll see how that gets on that's what I'm there for so that is um what my whole week has taken up by Bryce I'm going to Paris tomorrow and I get back Thursday 
Very exciting. I, I hope the food in the uh, in the media area is nice enough to uh, to annoy some of your fellow football grad network uh, friends. Uh, don't worry about that, Bryce. A good friend of mine works in a Paris restaurant. He's a Michelin-starred chef, so I'm going to be eating all right. <laughs> good, good to hear. Um, Manu, uh, what have you got going on this week that you'd like to draw people's attention to? Where, where should you be eating? <laughs> At home. <laughs> <laughs> Just like myself. <laughs> um. Yeah, I, I'm just going to make sure that the content all finds its right uh, spots. Um, we have the, the Champions League previews and the Europa League previews. Some of them uh, will be up by the time this podcast is up and the rest will be following shortly after. So keep your eye on that. Um, I'll make just make sure that that will find its right place. And then I'll keep my eye on uh, our internal chat to make sure that Andrew gets to see all the nice food pictures that Chris will post. Uh, just to let you know, there's 145 restaurants in a quarter square mile of where I'm staying. That's that's quite amazing, isn't it? Yeah, I, I've been to Paris very recently. The food is excellent. <laughs> yeah, well, good luck getting through those. Anyway, make sure you send us plenty of photos. But uh, guys, thank you very much uh, for tuning in uh, this week. As always, we really appreciate it. Uh, and if, if you need any more football in your life, then head over to the Football Grad uh, Network or at Football Grad Live on Twitter. Uh, that more or less does it for this week. I'm your host, Bryce Dunn. You can find me on Twitter at Bryce Dunn 11. And until next week, I'll feed you in. Ich warte seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt. Als wär's ein Rhythmus, als gäb's ein Lied, das mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht. Komm dir entgegen, ich hab zu holen. It wouldn't be the holiday season if there wasn't candy, right? Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.